with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about China's industrial profits fall in the first seven months, but revenue still increase, and global markets tumble after the Federal Reserve's interest rate hike warning. And now let's begin with our top story. Official data shows that、uh, profits of China's major industrial enterprises fell by 1.1 percent in the first seven months of this year. The fall in profits reversed the 1 percent gain in the first half of the year. However, the combined revenues of these firms sustained a faster growth pace during the period, rising by 8.8 percent. China has recently adopted a number of measures to strengthen the economic recovery. So, what's behind the increase in revenue and fall in profits of major industrial enterprises, and what policies are we expecting to support the economy? For more on this, join us on the line now is Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Anna Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So first, Dr. Zhou, the profits of China's major industrial enterprises fell by 1.1 percent in the first seven months, but the revenue still increased. So, what's behind the increase in revenue and fall in profits? Do you think? I think that、uh, when we're trying to talk about,、uh, you know, first we have to look at the samples. As the、uh, major industrial enterprises, not our same. Companies, they don't, they doesn't have to be the same companies involved in the statistics. Well, we, they are just、uh, judged by the size of the company. So we, when we compare with this year's data with last year, we may think about the maybe the different companies they they are achieving different roles. Well, when we are looking at if we assume that they are similar construction or constitutions of the companies, we may still have to look at、uh, the phenomena. This year, especially the first half and also the the first half of this years, we are seeing a very big increase on the energy prices, which is one of the main things that、uh, the the companies, especially in the industrial companies, they are composing of their cost. So that has put them very very expensive to making the the. Something that they want to have. Actually, when we are trying to produce something, those companies they are going to sell them. So they are selling something, maybe even more expensive. That has increased their their revenues. But when we are compared with their profits, because of the high cost of the materials of the inputs, their profits are not that high. Hmm. And so, Anna. So, what do you think about the China's economic situation right now? Well, it's very tough. I mean, there's internal headwinds、uh, in terms of COVID, things like that.、Uh, the supply chain has still not fully caught up、uh, with the things that you, and a lot of that is nothing to do with China. You have strikes across Europe, across the United States, longshoremen,、uh, railway companies,、uh, airlines, etc. So this is snarling things up. But I, I agree with Professor Joe. This is a situation where the input costs, what goes into production, have gone up. 
Uh, and, you know, the re- reason you see revenues rising is, quite frankly, China is still exporting a lot. Uh, remember, uh, China's uh, inflation has been at 2.7 percent, where around the world, it's uh, in Europe, it's 9.1 percent. It has another increase. Uh, Britain is hovering around 10. The U.S. is still in that kind of 8.586 range. So uh, eventually, uh, this kind of worldwide inflation does catch up, and you start seeing that in China. That's reflected in it. But China is still the low-cost producer uh, for a lot of the uh, necessary goods that are out there. If you're not selling your – if you're keeping your car or buying a second-hand car, you're going to need more parts. Mm-hmm. And those parts, guess where they're made? China. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of upside for China, but uh, global headwinds and internal issues. Mm. And Dr. Joe, so China has recently adopted a number of measures to strengthen the foundation of uh, the uh, economic recovery and development. So how do you characterize the latest policies from the government? I think that uh, for me, that when we are trying to look at the policies, at this stage, we are still trying to keep our very stable and uh, strong perspective and uh, expectation about the market. So we are. We all know that uh, the world is under very many uh, big challenges and a lot of uncertainties. Well, as a manufacturing country, I think China is still a little bit stable, especially when we are trying to develop the the dual circulation policies. We are trying not only to to make it better to to reflect the, the changes in the international market, but also trying to make it better and stronger in the domestic market. So if you are looking at the policies, you may find that there are mainly two levels. The first one is trying to integrate the different areas in China, the cities and provinces, try to make better of our domestic markets to make them to fit our domestic consumers. Well, the second is we are still trying to do more to try to uh, strengthen the connections with other neighboring countries to try to reduce the impact of the inflation in the world. Mm. And Aina, so if you take a look at the Chinese economy, on one hand, you see there are disruptions because of the uh, you know restrictions to deal with the COVID, for example, affecting the consumption, the retail sector and the service sector. But then if you look at the export and trade sector, it is still very strong. So it's kind of a mixed picture, right? Yes, it is. But I mean, the the underlying, the big issue is how do you get back all of these small and medium-sized enterprises that are responsible uh, traditionally for 90% of new jobs, 80% of existing jobs? Uh, They are absolutely crucial to China's future. And uh, so they have to get that restarted. Obviously, exports are a great way. The more exports there are, the more uh, it's not just one company putting them out. There's many. There are many needs. That could be a potential source of uh, growth in small and medium-sized enterprises. And one that starts happening and there's more confidence in the economy, uh, I think you can get back to this dual circulation strategy. But until that time, it's going to be uh, you know, heavy lifting. And you see the Chinese government moving into doing infrastructure as well as fiscal and monetary policy. Mm. And so, Dr. Joe, one key sector of the Chinese economy is, of course, the property market, which uh, people would say is in a slump. But how big a challenge is that? Is that going to be more complicated? Uh, I mean, the property is a real asset, right? Mm-hmm. That when we are trying to look at the Chinese economy, we know that uh, it's in the process of urbanization. Well, if you are 
you you think that uh, some part of China is uh, very hot for the cities for the real estate, but we are still in the process of urbanization. I I, I think that will be a little bit change about the attitudes of people to having the houses in the expectation of the peoples. Well, it is uh, you know a very important part of uh, the consumers consumers treasuries in the families, but uh, I still believe that uh, it is it is still in the controllable ways to to try to make it healthier maybe sometimes in some areas it's a little bit uh, cooling down but in other cities there still have a lot of lot of rooms to improve so the next stage will be a little bit of change of the policies like we we not want the, the people to pay more money in very many months and once, so they, they they cannot just trying to do that. Maybe the the buildings of those the builders of these houses will trying to be more realistic about the expectation of the people on the on the money that they will spend on the real estate. Mm. And Dr. Joe, so some economists are saying that uh, more domestic policies will be coming to improve the growth and domestic demand or the consumption is going to be a key as we. Get get into the next year. So what policies do you think to support economy are we expecting later this year or early next year? I believe that when we're trying to talk about the consumption, the main issue is not about the policies, that's uh, how the government will subsidize uh, those consumers. The main problem is whether we do have enough strength for the development of the economy. If the people have more money and they are they're more ready for what will happen in the future so they can consume. So I think that for the second half of this year, one of the key policies will be on employment. We have to improve more opportunities for the people. Mm-hmm. And so, Aina, so Beijing and Washington have recently signed an audit oversight cooperation deal to smooth the channels for Chinese companies to be listed on the U.S. stock exchange. So how crucial or how significant is it for both China and the United States? Well, this has been a long time coming, and it's been interfered with with the political uh, issues. So this is a very good sign overall. This is really one of the few thaw points uh, in this very icy relationship uh, that has developed. So uh, hopefully it's not the last um, compromise that will be made, and it will make things a little bit easier. Mm. And Dr. Joe, so China says the deal is a step forward by regulators in the China and the U.S. towards resolving the audit oversight issue. So what may be the next steps? In my understanding, that next steps will be how can we carry out those those kind of uh, agreement or uh, kind of consensus because that in the in the markets the enterprises are very realistic. They want to see what will change for them for themselves. How can they prepare for everything and how the investors are trying to forecast or made uh, made some judgment about the the future, the prices, the profits of those companies. So they will choose whether they were put more money to buy those companies' stocks or not. So, Aina, so what benefits could those Chinese companies listed on the U.S. stock market bring to both of these two countries? 
Well, I mean, there's been a, a rapid drain down in the number of stocks that are listed in the, in the U.S., mostly because of uh, buybacks and things like this, uh, privatizations. Uh, so as a result, when you start taking out a sizable one, although the Chinese uh, companies themselves don't represent a huge percentage, it would represent a further consolidation. Think of it as a, uh, as a pond that's drying up. Uh, there's only so much available. It has a impact on the index funds. Uh, and also, you know, these uh, kind of managed funds, because they they look at these uh, Chinese stocks as a way of, you know, kind of buying into uh, China, hedging risk in terms of geopolitical politics, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's very useful. In terms of China, it's good because, you know, Chinese companies have access to other forces. What it, it does, and especially under this dual, um, uh, dual uh, cycle system, they want to have more investment in China, and this is a way of doing it. So it's a win-win for both sides. There's really no negatives. Uh, the only issue is, of course, the politics. Mm. So, Dr. Zhou, what do you think are the benefits? Uh, as Anna mentioned, it's a win-win situation for both of the two sides, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's when we're not expecting something and that something happened, it's a surprise. For me, we know that uh, there were some expectation from the market that uh, the companies, Chinese companies, will be delisted from U.S. market, stock market. But now we see that there are still some, some, some maybe the hopes, maybe not very strong hopes, but we, we think that will be one start to the further improvement of the bilateral relationship because that both countries are very deeply dependent on each other, not only on the trade terms, but also on the financial areas and different kind of uh, wide issues like even in the climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the global market's tumble after the Federal Reserve Chairman's rate hike warning. And stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Markets in the U.S., Asia, and Europe all dropped this week, and the U.S. dollar rallied after the U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell warned of more interest rate hikes to fight inflation. Speaking at the Jackson Hole Symposium, Powell made it quite clear that more aggressive interest rate hikes are on the way. And meanwhile, the ECB policymakers also made the case for a large interest rate hike in September. And the U.S. dollar index hit a 20-year high earlier in the week. So, Aina, first of all, the message from Jackson Hole is quite hawkish. So what does it tell us about the threat of inflation? Well, quite clearly, uh, politically, it's the number one issue. Uh, it's on the minds of uh, over 76% of uh, Americans. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That means every month that goes by and you have these uh, big inflation numbers, they actually have less money in their pocket to spend because of being price increases. Uh, and that is very dangerous when you're talking about the vast majority of Americans. Um, economically, obviously huge. But 
you know, the problem is that if you compare China to the U.S., um, you know, China has all of these uh, different tools that it's, uh, you know, at its beck and call. It can use fiscal, monetary, and direct uh, involvement uh, through, you know, encouraging more infrastructure projects and things like this. The Fed doesn't have it. They only have these narrow interest rate uh, hikes and, and lowerings, but they have a big effect not only on the American domestic market, but on the international market, as we've seen with Forex. You've seen a rapid rise in there as people anticipate there'll be higher rates in the United States, and they're going to put their uh, money in bonds there and try to wait out uh, what looks to be a very, very difficult next couple of years. Everything the Fed does is is uh, they say they're attacking inflation. I don't agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, raising rates is not going to grow one more bushel of wheat, and it's not going to uh, get one barrel of oil uh, t- to anywhere else. So at this juncture, it's really hard to see that this is going to have the desired effect, and more likely, it's going to uh, depress the American economy. And that is also going to have worldwide uh, implications because of the U.S., um, you know, is a huge consumption factor. Mm. And Powell's message is that inflation must come down to achieve the uh, price stability in the U.S. But the market really didn't like it, right? Of course they don't like it. I mean, it's clear he, he does not have a clue about what he's doing. And, and uh, this kind of piling up uh, more, uh, you know, increasing the rates is going to kill the economy. Uh, yes, there's lots of loose money around, uh, and they have to dry that up. But this is not the way to do it, and this is not the time to do it. We're, we're fl- facing uh, a recession. This is not the time you start uh, raising interest rates. Uh, on you know, in his defense, what he's anticipating is that there's going to be a sharp downfall. He's warned about uh, pain is coming, uh, and he thinks he needs these interest rate increases so that in the future. He can lower the interest rates and try to reinflate the economy uh, once he thinks uh, the worst is over. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Joe, so Powell made it quite clear that more aggressive interest rate hikes are on the way. So, could you explain to the average person so why they should care that the interest rate might go up fifty or seventy-five basis points, and why is it such a big deal? Because that when they are rising, that uh, interest rate with a very modest rate will be. Not, no use in the market when it has some expectation that uh, Fed is trying to make a hike in the future. Actually, I think that is a function of the Fed because they are trying to use their tools to control the demands. But uh, it's not be easy to control that since the people, they do have to, to buy something. They do have to eat something. They do have to live in the house. So with only the expense increase, they will not reduce their consumption. And mm-hmm. that is not not even good, for, especially for the general people. And, and I believe that uh, when they are setting the signal, they also want some, uh, some kind of uh, feedback from the consumers and enterprises also. But in nowadays, when we're looking at uh, the world, maybe in the past, it will workable because the United States, they can do a lot of things by itself. But nowadays, a lot of interconnections between different economies. So when Fed is doing something, it must have some spillover effect to other countries while other companies or other countries like ECB, when they are making some decisions, they will also have spillovers to United States. So the world is such a, a whole 
world, we cannot just separate one country from the others.、Mm. So, Doctor Joe, specifically, what does the Federal Reserve aggressive interest rate hikes mean for the emerging market economies? Do you think? I think that from the past, from the history, we know that it has very harmful for the emerging markets because those markets has attracted some money, especially hot money from. The international market, when they are seeing their high return, they will just leave those economies, and it will have a very bad impact on that. Like the 1998, the Southeast Asia financial crisis, those countries has a recession of maybe decades. It's a very big impact for their real economy. Mm. So Ina, so earlier this week, the U.S. dollar index actually hit a 20-year high. So how will the Federal Reserve's forceful action affect the world economy and investors? Well, anybody who has a dollar-denominated loan out there is going to really suffer. I mean, they're they're already facing、uh, you know this recession, inflation. They don't have the money to pay it back. This could、uh, result in defaults going across the board. The U.S. has not, unlike China. Which has forgiven over 113 billion dollars worth of loans that were coming due. The U.S. is not taking any action in that area. So, as a result, you know the, the irony here is the U.S. went around the world claiming that China、uh, was using debt trap diplomacy. It now appears that the U.S. is the one who's going to be、uh, doing that, and and in essence, pressuring these companies to come up with money they, they frankly do not have. Mm. And so, Doctor Joe, as you mentioned, the ECB policymakers also made the case for a large, you know, the interest rate hike in September. So, tell us more about the inflation problems there. Is that more complicated? Yes, when we are, you know, a few years ago,、uh, when we are looking at the EU economies, we see that、uh, it's under the, you know, the pressure of、uh, deflation. Actually, that is because that the market of EU is、uh, decreasing. The market is not that strong to consume more, but nowadays the market is still there. They do not have any very strong forces to increase the economy, but they have to do something that they don't want to do. So there will be a more conflict or friction between the real economy and what the policies want them to be. It is a really big problem.、Mm. What, what we can call it, we can all we can call it a stagnation. Mm. And so, Doctor Joe, what about Asian countries? How should China and other emerging markets get prepared for the tightening cycle? I think it's a really problem for the Asian countries. Maybe we usually to depend too much on the development of United States and also the EU market. But now those days has passed. We cannot just return to those days. So when they are trying to do something, they must think about themselves. We what we can do is we should try to be more independent on the development of、uh, economy and the relationship between the different Asian countries. We should try to establish more trade and investment networks and the global supply chain. Maybe not global, just the regional supply chain in these countries. Mm. So, Ina, earlier Dr. Joe mentioned the Asian financial crisis 25 years ago, and now people are reflecting upon what happened and analyzing the dangers we are facing today. So, what do you think are the similarities and differences between now and then? Well, a, a lot of the Asian、uh, financial crisis was by、uh, you know 
basically Soros and people like that who are speculation, who are betting against the economies. Now, the underlying uh, economics were, in fact, bad. There was just too much uh, money that was floating around. A lot of it was hot. Uh, they couldn't cover it. And as a result, you, you had that. It's a little bit different today. The Southeast Asian nations are in very good shape uh, compared to the rest of the world. It's really where the growth is going. Uh, they have a very solid relationship with uh, China. Uh, they're now each other's uh, number one trade partner. And as a result, they have a, a localized, a regional economy uh, that looks like it can weather the storm better than others. Africa, South America, with more dollar denying denominated loans with, uh, you know, basically countries who are in, in deep economic distress, whether it's Chile and South America or a host of country, countries in, in, uh, in Africa, you, you have a situation where they are going to suffer. But there is hope on the horizon. You know, we've seen this with the BRICS Development Bank. You see a lot of countries lining up to be part of that. And one of the reasons is they, uh, the BRICS uh, created their own uh, currency reserve that can help smooth out fluctuations and avoid the kind of uh, instantaneous crashes that you had with the, uh, the Asian financial crisis. Mm. So, Dr. Joe, do you think there is also much danger today of similar things happened, even though could be different in details? Yeah, there will be a lot of different things that, uh, you know, we'll have to judge, we'll have more opportunities. Well, you can still expect there are more innovative ways for us to try to do something different. Actually, that uh, we are in the world with a different globalization trend. We are looking at different possibilities, something uh, like the trade in services, innovation, the, even the, the metaverse. We have different kind of areas we, we could try to do better if we have to deal with those situations. But we still think that uh, with, uh, you, know, you know, the different development of different regions, maybe the currencies, the regimes of the international finance, finance governance and the trade regime, we can also do a lot of things to change, to make it more diversified, to, to fight against the different risks in the world. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Joe, so how could smaller economies be able to protect themselves? The smaller economies, I, in my understanding, first of all, they have to be open. They cannot just do everything on their own. So if they want to improve their existence to have a sustainable development, they have to be more open than other economies. And the second is that they have to choose some very good partners. For those partners, they do not want to just try to, to, to change their directions of cooperation from time to time. They have to be something that they can rely on. And the third one is that for the smaller economies, they, they can try to provide better opportunities for those other companies because that we we say uh, in the in the trend of globalization the multinational companies are very important players of them so they can provide them with more opportunities for them to be uh, be uh, connected with them and that will also support their employment trade econ economy and uh, also a lot, lot of other possibilities mm -hmm. well we're speaking with joe me senior research fellow at the chinese academy of international trade and economic cooperation and also Ina tangan senior fellow at the taihe institute and that's all the time we have for this edition of biz today i'm zhao yang in beijing thank you so much for listening mm -hmm.